According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We can start momentarily in Philippians chapter 3. Fix our bearings yet again for uh, the study that uh, we launched into. And then uh, we could even wrap it up tonight or Sunday or sometime soon and then return back to uh, the final paragraph of uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is uh, described in a positive way as the thing you want to do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. It becomes motivational for not only Paul, but for all of us. And this is our pattern. We want to forget what lies behind. We want to reach forward to the prize. It's not arrogant or prideful or wrong to want to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, I want more rewards than I know I'm going to have because I recognize uh, there's going to be a lot of wood, hay, and stubble up there, and that's all my fault. Uh, That wood, hay, and stubble is going to be consumed by fire. And whatever uh, gold, silver, and precious stones is remaining that uh, is purified by the fire of judgment will then be a reward. And uh, that's what I want to throw at my Savior's feet because He is worth uh, anything, everything that I can throw at His feet. So uh, before we do move on to the next paragraph, verses 17 through 21, uh, I thought it would be useful for us to take a doctrinal study on the prize. And that's what we're going to be trying to wrap up here tonight. We've done, I think, three sessions in it already or so. And uh, we'll pick up there. Uh, after a word of prayer. Remember, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So let's take a moment to come before the Father and call upon His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank You for the privilege and blessing that it is to assemble together. We know it's a grace provision. Father, we didn't earn this or deserve this. Who are we that you should reveal yourself, that you should make your thinking clear. And yet, that's what you've done, Father. You put it in writing, you put it in your word. And then uh, you put your spirit within each one of us, Father, so that we might know the things uh, freely given to us. And I thank you for the spirit of truth. I thank you for the permanent indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, that is our heritage in this church age. I thank you for the, the, the spirit of truth that opens the eyes of our understanding. And so we call upon that faithfulness yet again tonight, Father, to bless our time of study, to uh, open our minds to perceive the Scriptures. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we've got a microphone ready to go so we can take some questions tonight. We do want to take the first few minutes of Wednesday night for Q&A time. And I figure you might be uh, overwhelmed uh, that you've been holding it in for three weeks running. But uh, I do uh, appreciate Lewis covering for me the last two Wednesdays and providing that time away. Uh, but we're back, we're ready for questions, so who, uh, who would like to have our lead-off question? Maybe Lewis wants our lead-off question. <laughs> no, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, right up here then. Carol gets our lead-off question. Um, Matthew 19, verses 28 through 30. You Matthew 19, you said? Yes, sir. Okay. You touched on this uh, last week, teaching the prize. Um, and my question is, in verse 29, it's everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister, etc. Is it left them or lost them? I was going to look it up, but in the original text. Yeah, it would be left. Afiemi, to leave, to depart. It's even a word for divorce if it's a marital thing, but yeah, it's a, it's a word for departure. Anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother for, or children or farms for my name's sake. See, that confuses me. Why would you leave your family? Why would you leave your children? Well, for my name's sake. And in the, in the context then, as Jesus said, when I, he said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword, that oftentimes a man's enemies are the members of his own household. And sometimes leaving is not an option. It's actually the directive will of God. When it says come out from among them and be ye separate, that may include the unbelieving family members that are hostile to your ministry or hostile to your faith. 
that are actually destructive to your faith. I think more often than not, they actually end up leaving you uh, before you leave them. But when it comes right down to it, Abraham was told to leave his family. And, and I think he partially disobeyed when he insisted on bringing Lot with him. Um, but he was told to leave his family. And there's other illustrations of that as well. And that'd be leaving adult, adults who have... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not talking about a, a, a minor child in your home that... Yeah, when you're leaving uh, children or farms for my name's sake, that's not abandoning a toddler. To There you go. You know, it's, it is curious to me what it cost Paul when Paul named the name of Christ. Um, I believe uh, Paul was a voting member of the Sanhedrin, and, and that meant, according to tradition, he had to be a married man. And, uh, and yet we know that in his ministry as an apostle, he was not a married man, and, and he, he spoke on that. And um, my suspicion is, is that the Sanhedrin annulled his marriage and, and rescued his wife from the, the terrible heretic there when, when he named the name of Christ after the Damascus Road. So anyway, can't prove it, it's not in the Scripture, but it is clear that if he was a voting member, and, and Scripture says, I cast my vote against them, if he was a voting member of the Sanhedrin, that was required for him to be a married man. Yeah. So, All right, good question though, appreciate that. Other questions tonight? Or not. Kevin's got one. All right, the other Kevin. Tall Kevin. Is that what you guys call yourselves? Tall Kevin and handsome Kevin? All right. All righty. Um, Luke 2.29. Say that again? Luke 2.29. Luke 2.29. And it's little Kevin. Little Kevin. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Are there any legends about how old this guy is? <laughs> there are dozens of legends. There's all kinds of legends. And uh, some that even go back to early times, but most of the legends are medieval and, and are, are so late, they're like a, you know, a, a high school accusation 30 years later. You know, who believes those? We don't know how old he was. We don't know. I mean, it had been revealed to Simon that he would not see death. Uh, and then when he sees the baby, he celebrates and he praises the Lord. And when he does say, according to your word, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Uh, that is the verbal word that the Lord had given him because there's no written word. There's no canon of scripture passage that prophesied as to Simeon and this long life kind of a thing. But that, not only legends connected there, but then those connections also got linked to the Apostle John because of the word that Jesus gave to John when at that Peter, do you love me more than these? And and, and Jesus told Peter, you know, if I want him to remain until I come back at Second Advent, what is that to you? And so a lot of people combined the Simeon story of not dying until he saw the Christ baby and the John legend about not dying until Christ returned at Second Advent. And those two things kind of got conflated in a whole lot of uh, imaginations and a whole lot of legends that then came up. But it was really in a very superstitious era of church history where they were starting to do some scary things anyway with uh, you know, relics assigning mystical powers to bones and pieces of the cross and things like that. So uh, anyway, they're, they're amusing like you know, a Spider-Man comic book, but I don't really give any credit to uh, any of the legends. Okay, and I have uh, one other thing. Uh, back, to, back to Philippians. Uh-huh. Um, four six. Four six. Since we are going over the guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus, I was just wondering if this maybe be a good time, or maybe it'd be an opportunity to go back over the uh, stop counseling book that we went through a while back. Oh yeah, stop counseling, start ministering by Martin and Deidre Bobgan, and the, that's the one you're talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know. Um, this verse, when it does say be anxious for nothing, you know, there, there's a common philosophy that's just thriving in a lot of places that takes Freudian psychology or Jung or Adler, any of those guys, and they try to accept that on top of the Bible, you know, in addition, you know, and they don't want to be pagan about it, so they blend it, you know, and they can blend it with some Bible here and some Freud there, and, and, and a mixture of that is is wrong. It's not biblical. All right? 
Second uh, Peter says that God's provided for us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so we don't need to supplement the Bible with, with the world's wisdom. I think the, the imperative, though, when it says the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that just jumps out at me. Because from my conversations with different folks and, and, and beyond this assembly and other assemblies, uh, I, I just think there's a whole lot of Christians that are not guarding their hearts and minds at all. And, or even failing to recognize that God does such a thing. You know, that their soul is something that must be guarded and protected and defended. And so instead of sheltering their soul, they bear their soul to all kinds of people that aren't entitled to that. You know, when it comes right down to it, the, the, the care of your soul, God has designed shepherds to shepherd souls in the, in the boundaries of a local church. God has provided husbands and wives uh, to not only, you know, not only is it the union of bodies, but it's the union of souls. And, and so, you know, who do you bear your soul to? You know, and, and it just seems like our culture has gotten to the point that they'll just blab anything to anybody at any, you know, uh, the, the Jerry Springer circumstance of our culture now that seems to be everywhere. Um, that I, I would really like to see more believers understand guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is what God Himself does. That's His activity that He does when we are engaged in our prayer life uh, the way that we should be. So yeah, that's, uh, that's something that, that the Bob Gans camp on. If you're not familiar with Psychoheresy Awareness Ministries, I recommend them. Um, I've met them both, Martin and, and, and his wife Deidre. Uh, they're just, I think they're they're pushing 80. They're in their 70s at the very least, if not 80 by now. And uh, they used to be practicing psychotherapists. They actually were fully in, in that whole realm. And they still read all the literature. They still stay current on all the, all the journals, all the literature, all the latest findings. They really uh, stress the research side of things as opposed to the clinical practice side of things. Um, but uh, they, they're a, a tremendous resource as far as why the Bible is sufficient, why the Word of God is sufficient. And why we don't need to add to the Word of God with some kind of world, world wisdom. I recommend that. If you uh, can't find it or can't Google it or whatever, just send me an email and I'll send you a link. Because a lot of the stuff, of course you can buy all the books you want, but even if you don't want to buy their books, they've got PDFs of almost everything that you can just download at, at no charge. So that's, uh, that's a great resource. Psychoheresyawareness.net I think is the, is the website. So. No, I appreciate that. All right. Did that answer your question then? Okay. Other questions? Sometimes I don't answer the question I was asked. I, 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 I jump out of the left field and answer a different question that's kind of related. All right. And it may, I laugh too every time somebody says, I have a real quick uh, question. I said, that's great because I got a real long answer. <laughs> All right. Well, if I didn't get to yours... Going once, going twice, last call, speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay, well then uh, if I didn't get to your question, then uh, we'll try to get to it next week. And if you can't wait that long, then shoot me an email. Be glad to handle those. All right, we're talking about the prize. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we recognize that God is a God who rewards. That God, not only does He exist, but He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So God is, uh, is, uh, is a rewarder and He wants to be sought and He wants to be found and He wants to be worshipped and that's the nature of, of uh, who God is and how, why He created us the way that He did. And so all of these principles I think are significant because they're bigger than just the church. The church age is only the most recent, the current phase of His unfolding plan. And that before the church were, were His stewards, Israel were His stewards and Israel will be His stewards yet again. When the church is raptured out of here, Israel has their stewardship restored and they will once again be uh, the uh, stewards, of, managers of his household here on earth. And so, with, and before the, before the Jews there were the Gentiles. From Adam to Abraham it was a Gentile stewardship. And even before Adam, angels were on this earth and they had an angelic stewardship that we have just brief glimpses of in different places of Scripture. And so with each one of these stewardships have come rewards. And there have been promised rewards every step of the way. And so in our development we've kind of walked our way through a variety of developments, basically looking at each dispensation and the rewards that they were looking forward to. Because each one had a prize to look forward to. Angels had a prize to look forward to. And some of the angels didn't like their prize and so they fell, they rebelled. 
followed after Satan. The angelic prize is to serve us. And if you think about it, it's a, it's a prize of humility and uh, Satan and the fallen angels could not abide by that. And so they rebelled, they fell. Satan, the, the last thing Satan wanted to do was to humble himself. He wanted to magnify himself. And he took a five-fold vow about I will, I will, I will. And all of those were about self-exaltation. You notice none of those were about serving humans. <laughs> okay, uh, And yet angels are ministering spirits that are sent out to render service for us who will inherit salvation. We also talk about the Gentile dispensation. This too is a little bit sketchy because uh, the Bible didn't get written back during Gentile times. You know, Moses was the first author, and by the time Moses is writing the the Torah, uh, the Gentile age has already passed by uh, as far as those details are concerned. But we have glimpses and we have clues from the book of Hebrews that talk about Noah and Daniel or Job rather, we talk about the great Gentile heroes of the Old Testament and they have rewards waiting for them as well. Most of the reward passages center on Israel, which we might expect. Great rewards that they have to look forward to. In fact, what we call eschatology, the doctrine of end times, or prophecy, most of what we call eschatology is really God's promised reward to the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. You know, we're talking about the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ and we put that in an eschatological study. But really, that's a, that's a feature of Jewish rewards for the, for the Jewish people and the, the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of aspects there from Abraham to Moses to David to Daniel to Jesus. And uh, if you missed these lessons, I recommend you go back and get the MP3s and pay attention in particular because these are vital. I think they're vital to uh, the, the reward that they were looking to. And in particular Jesus in the Gospels because when you're reading in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and you're reading in, in these promises of rewards, so often authors will start stealing these texts and applying them in a church way. And that's, that's problematic. Just off the bat that's problematic. And uh, with the issues because this is all before Pentecost when Jesus, Jesus was an Old Testament prophet. Jesus was a prophet to Israel. And uh, just we lose sight of that because it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our New Testament. But everything before Acts 2 is still Old Testament in, in stewardship. And so when Jesus is talking about, for example, he's talking about a feast where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be featured at this feast. And one of the rewards is, is to be invited to feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that's a Jewish reward. That's primarily a Jewish reward. And then Jesus uh, mentioned the fact that this one Roman centurion, because his faith was greater than any Jew he ever met, he said, you know what? In the end times there are going to be some coming from the east and the west and they're going to have a, a seat at this table. Whereas some of the Jews are going to be cast out. They're not going to have a seat at this table. So anyway, those are the passages we're talking about. Other passages like with foolish virgins and oil in the lamp and all these other things a lot of times they get brought in by different authors, different pastors in different ways, and they get like ruling over five cities, ruling over ten cities, ruling over one city. And, and I've spoken to, to Christians about, you know, and, and some have asked me, well how many cities do you think you're going to rule over? You know, like, are you kidding me? Okay, even if I accept that that's a valid for a church age application, which I don't, but if I did for a moment entertain the thing, well then I expect I'm not going to have any cities. I'm going to have a, a total, a, Robert had a thing about Peoria, Illinois. I forget what you were talking about. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a, a phone booth on a corner in Paducah, Kentucky or somewhere. That's going to be, that's my anticipated thing. But ruling over a city or five cities or ten cities, those are so earthly. And our inheritance is heavenly. Our rewards are heavenly. Our estate is heavenly. And, and ultimately we're bride of Christ and so one city, five city, ten cities, what's that? He's the heir of all things and we rule with Him over everything, <laughs> right? These, these guys that have one city, five city, ten cities, they're going to be answering to us and they're going to be reporting to the bride, they're going to be reporting to the king as it relates to what they're doing. So don't confuse this. And, and the one that is probably the toughest one of all is the one in Luke 19 when he tells the apostles that they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's the one that I think really it, it bothers um, Jody Dillow, it bothers a whole lot of other otherwise good authors. But they see that and they see it's promised to the apostles and they say, well that's got to be a church reward then because those are the apostles he's speaking to. 
And what it fails to recognize is that they're not church apostles yet. They will become church apostles after Pentecost, but for the time being, they're apostles to Israel. They're apostles of the Lamb during Jesus Christ's first advent ministry to Israel. And so they will have rewards as stewards within Israel on top of the rewards that they will also have as apostles of Jesus Christ in, uh, in the church age. So I think once you get that dual reward eligibility, then I think, uh, I think you can do fine just after that and realize Jesus never really spoke of church rewards uh, at all anywhere, even in the upper room discourse. He gave some, some previews of the coming mystery, but he didn't speak of eternal rewards in any of those. He spoke of the coming Holy Spirit, he spoke about uh, other things related to fruit bearing and abiding in the vine, uh, but he didn't talk about eternal rewards for the bride because the bride was still a mystery during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So any questions on that? Are we clear on that? I, I don't think Jesus spoke about church rewards that uh, his, his messages were primarily about Jewish with some Gentile rewards that uh, would be offered as a bonus for Gentiles coming from the East and the West and partaking at the patriarchal table. Alright, when we get into the church rewards, this is what we really deal with now in terms of the church rewards under point D, uh, eternal rewards for the church dispensation. And we start with the overcomer rewards. We start with the overcomer rewards, and these are ones that bother people also in Revelation 2 and 3. To him who overcomes, I will give. And there's seven promised rewards that come in Revelation 2 and 3. And what you've got to recognize is that those are positional rewards for the entire bride. They're not earned, they're not deserved, they're not um, part of the, the variety of rewards that come where the, the winners have more and the losers have less. Those are true but not with respect to the overcomer rewards. Because Jesus is the overcomer. And we suffer with Him, we reign with Him. Jesus is the overcomer, we are overcomers by faith in Him. And uh, not to be too redundant, but just, let me just read these again. John 16, 33. Who is it that has overcome the world? It's not us, it's Jesus. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus is Ha Nikon, the overcomer. Okay? That's a technical term, the present part of simple masculine singular. He who overcomes is Jesus. He who overcomes is Jesus. If you remember that, then Revelation 2 and 3 gets pretty easy through all seven of those promises. He who overcomes is Jesus as per John 16, 33. And then we, of course, are become overcomers by faith in Him. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. And this uh, should be clear. It's the same author, by the way. He writes the Gospel, he writes the Epistles, and then he writes Revelation. This is John, the son of Zebedee, the son of Thunder. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So there you go. Raise your hand. Are you saved? You're born again? You're an overcomer because you're in Christ. He's the overcomer and we're in Him. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Just like the hymn says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you believe in Christ, when you receive eternal life, you are then placed in that overcomer status. And so that's, that's what it means to be baptized in union with Christ. You identify with Him in His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His session. He's the overcomer, we're the overcomer in Christ. And so then we can read through all seven of these messages, the overcomer rewards, to Him who overcomes I will give. That's to Jesus and then that's to us in Jesus all seven times. All seven times. And it really, I mean, I think when you walk through it, I won't go back tonight because we did this last week, but when you go, when you go through this, or we did this Sunday morning, I guess, when you pedantically, very methodically, very uh, deliberately, and even tediously, when you go through church by church by church, Ephesus to Laodicea, and you reinforce it again and again and again, then I think not only do you get the benefit of reinforcing it, but then you also, I think, get exposed to the ludicrous uh, alternative of thinking, wow, 
if this is conditional and I can, I can throw this away and I can not receive this by being some church age loser that dies the sin unto death, well then, I guess that also means I'm losing my salvation because some of these rewards including not being hurt by the second death uh, that include you know, things that would clearly mean I'm losing my salvation if I'm throwing away these rewards. So anyway, I would encourage you uh, the MP3 is just sitting there from Sunday morning on the website minding its own MP3 business. So the overcomer rewards, the overcomer rewards in Revelation 2 and 3 go to every church age saint, every born again believer from Pentecost to rapture is a recipient of those overcomer rewards from the, the, the greatest to the least. Okay. Now, having said that, we go beyond and we start talking about other rewards now. And these are conditional rewards as, as far as we can tell. These other crowns that we're talking about, these are all conditional. That they're not given to everybody. And that there are some that would lose them. There are some that would throw them away. That's why we have admonishments to uh, hold fast what you have, let no one take your crown. And so there are other rewards that we're going to see here in, in point three, subpoints A, B, C, D, E. And these rewards are very conditional. And these rewards, uh, you know, you may get one of them or two of them, or I, I pray that you get all five of them. I want my flock to get be five for five in, in all of these, say. Uh, but we recognize that on the basis of the conditional nature, there's going to be uh, some that are going to be out of reach. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.25 calls it the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. And it's in contrast to the laurel wreath that was awarded in the Roman games. Um, you know, something that isn't going to last very long. Maybe uh, I think in the Asterix comic books the uh, laurel wreath got put into a stew or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember now. I know Oblix like to eat a lot, but... Um, Anyway, seasoning. That's, oh, they had to go and fetch Caesar's laurel wreath to put it into a stew. That was the mission they were sent on. But anyway, um, so the in the in the ancient world they would run the race, run in such a way that you will win. And um, this is First uh, Corinthians nine verses twenty four through twenty seven. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So be a winner as you're running. That means run with effort. <laughs> that means give it everything you've got. Keep running in the strength that God supplies, of course. But run in such a way that you may win. Run with the intention of, re- of grabbing the prize. That's what Paul said. I'm reaching for the prize, is what he says. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And so, yeah, you know, you can't eat like a glutton and drink like a drunkard and, and uh, you know, as far as I know, I think Babe Ruth's the only one that could live that lifestyle and still have athletic achievement on the, on the baseball field. See? And um, clearly I don't know how he did that, but that's not normal. Okay? If you're going to be a, a, an Olympic caliber athlete, if you're going to compete at the high levels, then that requires discipline. And the Christian walk require, requires discipline. It means you're under teaching. It means you're diligent. You're in Bible class when the doors are open. It means you're, you're sacrificing other things to pursue this. Right? That's what athletes do. They're sacrificing other things to pursue this. And uh, run in such a way, as he says here, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. Don't be aimless. There's too many aimless Christians. And, uh, and the aimless Christians, I'm telling you, I think this passage makes it clear, the aimless Christians are not receiving this imperishable crown. All right, run in such a way that you would win, and uh, not without aim. Box in such a way as not beating the air. If you're just spending your time beating the air, I suspect that this is not a crown that that you're uh, headed towards. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And if God puts you into a leadership function, if you're a deacon or an elder or a pastor or whatever you are. And, uh, and then you find yourself speaking the Word of God and you're not living it? That's convicting, see. And, uh, and so there you go. 
you know, and, and, then, and then you watch your flock get the rewards that you should have had because uh, you equipped them to get those uh, prizes and you yourself threw it away uh, by not uh, disciplining yourself. So that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now who cannot be disqualified? Do they not know who you are? You know, uh, it'd be like Michael Phelps, if he, if he springs off the, the starting block too early, uh, that buzzer's going to buzz. That buzzer doesn't care that it's Michael Phelps. The buzzer's going to buzz because he left the, the starting block too early. And, you know, who, who's not eligible for a DQ if, if that, you know, is what the buzzer says? If, if, uh, if uh, you know, you're the, the greatest pastor in the history of the church age and whatever, well, you know, you could throw that away because you didn't forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. And that uh, becomes a principle there. All right, so this this opening text, this incorruptible crown, I don't know that we can really pinpoint this as a separate crown from some of the other ones. I'll just kind of walk you through what the thought process is. Um, This may be a general text that helps to explain the other four. That might be the better way to handle this. Because I don't know when we talk about the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the unfading crown of glory, when we talk about these other crowns, all of them are unfading, all of them are incorruptible. And so it may be best to understand this text as a general text that helps to uh, define the other four, okay? Including the crown of exaltation, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, the crown of exaltation, you know, uh, exaltation. First Thessalonians 2.19 to exalt, not exalt, exalt. U-L-T, not A-L-T. This means to rejoice, to celebrate, to be thrilled with something. First Thessalonians 2.19 and it consists in people primarily as Paul says, is it not you And all the heartache about being driven out of town and not able to get back and minister with them. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, Ralph and Dorothy Braun. When am I ever going to get to see them again on this earth? Maybe never. You know, that's why I pray for folks that make trips up there. (laughs) Say hi for me. All right. Um, And Paul, of course, wanted to go back and see the Thessalonians and he wasn't able to. In fact, I don't think we have any record that he ever does anywhere in in, in the New Testament. Timothy got to sneak in there. Others could go in there. Demas, I think when Demas abandoned Paul because he loved this present age, I think he chose Thessalonica because he knew that was the one place Paul wouldn't track him down. <laughs> okay? And so that's where he went. So he said uh, in verse 17, but we brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. But we, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, Yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? And so if we never see again on this earth, we will see in the air, here, there, or in the air, right? And so to be able to see these believers, to see them in the presence of the Lord Jesus at His coming, to see a flock presented with full reward, what kind of joy is that? What kind of thrill is that? See, but you realize in order for this to be true, in order to receive this crown, that means you have to personally get happy when somebody else is doing well. That you have to exult in somebody else's success. That you have to be so thrilled with a brother or a sister that's thriving in the Word of God and growing and, and enduring and everything that's happening. And, uh, and it's got to be a real exultation. You can't be sour graping it and saying, who do they think they are? Why do they get that? Or why, uh, you know, all frumpy about some good thing that's happening to somebody else? Like, well, they don't deserve that. You know, how did he get such a pretty wife? How, how does that happen? And, you know, and whatever. You get being all frumpy over things and you think, well, I should deserve this or I should whatever. And, uh, you know, why don't I drive a Ferrari? If you can exult, This is what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice. If you can exult, if you can be so thrilled 
with, with a report that you hear on something else that's happening, man, that's the greatest thing in the world because Christ gets the glory. And then, boy, when heaven comes around, now we've got all kinds of time to just sit around and tell these stories over and over again and boast in the Lord for all eternity on all the great things. And so we have a crown of exaltation. For you are our glory and joy. And so if I might just create a definition here, I think we, um, we have already defined judgment seat of Christ's production as the building materials that we're pouring into other people, right? That how we, as we edify others, that's the standard that gets evaluated. As we pour ourselves into other people, we want to give them our best, our gold, silver, precious stones. We don't want to cut corners or cheat by just putting in some uh, wood, hay, and stubble and glossing over it as if it's, it's real stuff. Because when the fire hits, it's going to be exposed. The, the material goods that we poured into somebody else's edification, that's the criteria for judgment. And so now that being an analogy to this, what then is this crown of exaltation uh, awarded on the basis of, other than the joy that we take, the glory and the joy that we take when we see what they do, what they do with what we've poured into them. Does that make sense? And so I can rejoice in the success of others. I can be thrilled at every report that I get from Lost Pines Bible Church, for example. I can be completely thrilled when when Pastor Cliff takes his first trip to Kiev, Ukraine, and when he gets to teach the Word of God Bible College. And I, I can be thrilled beyond anything imaginable. I can be Skyping with him every day, and we can be you know, following his... Pro- I can be a Google stalker on the maps watching him walk to class, because I know... <laughs> I know where the professor's apartment is, I know where the school is, I know the subways he has to take. I know the little ice cream stand along the way when you get to the... All right. But that's a crown of exaltation when you're thrilled over what other believers are doing. Joy and rejoicing and all of this. That, to me, that's a, that's a marvelous thing. Now, does, are we, do we have some overlap? Is it, can, we, can we say for a fact, see, this is what happens, you've got to rightly divide the word of truth. So I have a, a reference in 1 Corinthians 9 to an imperishable crown. I have a reference in, in 1 Thessalonians 2 to a crown of exaltation and then I'm looking for a verse that links those and I don't have a verse that links those. Okay, So I have to recognize I've got this point, I've got this point, I've got this point. Really we're doing an inductive study. We're taking all of the lines of evidence and then we're synthesizing into, a, into a, an understanding. And if, if different pastors do it in different ways, well then we have the, the intellectual honesty to say, you know, that's fair. That's, that's fair, that's valid as far as that goes. All right, then we have the crown of righteousness that's listed in 2 Timothy 4, 8. A crown of righteousness. Well, this one sounds pretty good. And there's a breastplate of righteousness as a part of our armor, but this is a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 8. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the easiest one. This is, this is the gimme, <laughs> you know? This is like when you're looking at your football schedule and you see you got the Cleveland Browns on there and you say, that's my gimme for the season. You're looking at, <laughs> you're looking at all these crowns and you're thinking, ooh, crown of righteousness. I can get that one, okay? And so here's Paul and he's talking about, remember in 1 Timothy he was hoping to be released and 2 Timothy he knows he's not. He knows he's, he's going to be executed and his concern is that Timothy might make it there in time. Um, and so he has this warning. So he tells Timothy, uh, the time will come, you got to, um, let me just go through this, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and by His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And this, is, this becomes an ordination message for different pastors in different times. And, and uh, this in season and out of season. What if out of season lasts decades? Okay, You know, some seasons are longer than others. Uh, great patience and instruction. When it says great patience, literally it says all patience. All of it. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Hello, 21st century American Christianity. This is, uh, this is descriptive of our generation, our day and age. We have, uh, we have the, the um, culture-driven uh, felt needs. It's all about uh, shopping for the, the right church and shopping for this and shopping for preachers and shopping for uh, what it is that tickles my ears. And uh, that's not God's plan. God's plan is He allots sheep to the charge of a shepherd that He selects, the man of His choosing. All right. And they turn away their ears from truth and they turn aside to myths. And they would much rather have a moralistic therapeutic deism, something that's really more reflective of postmodern philosophy than it is anything in terms of (laughs) biblical exegesis. But you, be sober in all things. And that term of sobriety I think is a nice contrast to the the other crowd, turning away their ears to truth and turning aside to mess. I think it's a drunkenness. I think that, 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 that the ear-tickling crowd is just so given over to this that you could think of it as a, as a drunkenness. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And I find that curious because I think Timothy was a pastor teacher by gift but he had to do double duty uh, with no evangelist uh, in, his, in his midst. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. And uh, this is what he's, even his death, he views it as a sacrifice uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Remember all of these crowns we're looking at, all these rewards, they can't come to you in time. They're given to the judgment seat, they're given to you for eternity. It's given unto man once to die, after that the judgment. It's not like we get a midterm and God tells us how well we're doing and says Here, here's a crown or two to keep you going. Alright. These are post-mortem, end-of-life evaluations. Post-mortem. The whole spectrum of our, of our Christian walk is under review as the crowns are assigned. Paul says he's done. I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. See, it's on layaway. Now thieves cannot break in and steal it. Moth and rust cannot destroy it. Does that mean it's you can not lose it or you can't throw it away? Stop and wait a minute. We're reconciling different passages. There are passages that say, let no one take your crown. There are passages that say, hold fast what you have. Now I can't ignore any of those in isolation. So thieves can't take it away, but I can throw it away. I think that's a big difference. Moth and rust can't destroy it. But what can I do? When it says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. All right. So in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, here's our clue for the criteria, not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Who have loved His appearing. And so exegete the verse, tear apart all the verb tenses, see the time involved in the, the application on this. But who, the, all who have loved His appearing, speaking of continuous action in past time, past completed action with present ongoing results, all right? This, this crown is awarded on the basis of eagerly waiting the rapture of the church. All who have loved His appearing. Everybody that's, that's why I send you all out of here with a here, there, or in the air. I want you all to know that we are waiting day by day for that trumpet to sound. We should love His appearing. We should so want it to happen tonight. Okay? And uh, that's why I say, man, this ought to be an easy easy prize to, to get because who, uh, who doesn't love His appearing? I'll tell you who doesn't love His appearing. The ear ticklers. The folks that are friends with this world. Friendship with this world is enmity towards God. Those that are uh, like the, the man with the barns, he was going to tear him down to build bigger barns and Jesus called him a fool. said, tonight your soul is required of you. That wasn't a man that loved his appearing. That was a man that was cringing. First John tells us there are going to be some that cringe in fear at his appearing. That shrink away. See, First John 2, uh, 2.28 I think. Make sure I'm not misquoting this. 
I notice when I give things off the top of my head that the top of my head has gotten thinner lately. All right, 1 John 2.28. Now little children abide in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. That's a reality for far too many Christians. I think it's a reality for the most. Most. Most Christians. How many are really abiding in Christ? How many are dwelling in Christ? How many have fixed their eyes on Christ? And how many are just living in the world and living in the flesh and living in themselves? And when that trumpet sounds, they know they're doomed. They know, oh no. Because they kept intending to get around to getting religious when they got older. They kept intending to, you know, get more serious about their growth. You know, just, I got, I got stuff to do right now. Shrinking away from Him in shame and His coming. When that trumpet sounds, the Lord Himself descends with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are alive and remain get caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You, you realize, if you're caught doing what you don't want to be caught doing, <laughs> if, if you're in darkness, if you're in carnality, if, you're, if all that, that that's, you don't want to be there. Uh, say goodbye to the crown of righteousness. Because you obviously did not love His appearing. You were not locked in on His appearing. You were not dwelling with Him in such a way that His moment by moment anticipated return was something you just loved. See? That's the difference. And so here's the crown of righteousness. Is it the same as the crown of it? It seems to be different from crown of exaltation. I think both of them are imperishable. I think both of them would qualify as the imperishable crown from, uh, from 1 Corinthians 9. That's why I think 1 Corinthians 9 gives us general principles. Don't be disqualified. Run with a purpose. Hit, you know, punch what you're hitting at. Things like that. Uh, all of those principles apply for the crown of exaltation and the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the unfading crown of glory. Alright. Crown of life did I say? James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10, the crown of life. James 1.12. Well, this one ought to be a gimme. I mean, don't we all have life? Well, what does it say? James 1.12. And this is why we are to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And... Um, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. You know, well, how long does this take? How long does this last? I persevered for a while. Does that count? Okay, I'm tired of persevering. Who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. Well, when does that happen? Let's just finish this one and I'll persevere under a different trial. Once he has been documazo approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, these, these trials and the perseverance mandate is really a test of, of love. Do you love the Lord? Okay. Not do you love your boss or do you love your husband or do you love your father or do you love, you know, this test? Do you love, do you love the Lord? Because that's the, uh, the basis on which the motivational virtue for enduring the test, at least in this passage, and I think other passages bear it out, is, is love. Okay? Because uh, here you are trying to endure all things, bear all things, believe all things, and never fail, and, uh, and you can't. Because you don't believe all things, you don't bear all things, you don't endure all things, and you fail all the time. But love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So when it comes to this crown of life, on what basis is it awarded? Well, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The testing venue, don't confuse the venue with the real test. Do you love God or not? And let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. God himself cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now, he permits these things, he designs these things, but with every test that he designs, he also designs the way of escape. He, de he designs the victorious conclusion to every test. So 
you may be able to endure it. And this is the crown of life. And uh, here too, I think it's conditional. How many receive it? How many don't receive it? How many believers are we going to see wearing the crown of life? You know? You ever see the uh, on the news, you get the these generals that are standing there in their class A dress uniform and they got the, all these ribbons on their chest and all that. And if you know how to read those ribbons, if you know what they stand for, you know what the color patterns are, and you know the, the sequence that they are, and you can spot, of course you can spot the Congressional Medal of Honor a mile off, but the other ones that you can spot as well. And if you know what you're looking at and you can see those, you have a capacity to appreciate them, I think it's going to be like that in heaven with our crown of exaltation, crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of, of uh, I mean, how many crowns can you put on your head at one time? So you wear one at a time maybe, and then the rest of them are on display there on your, on your ribbons. Perhaps. I'm just I'm, I'm illustrating and speculating here. But um, this crown of life, how many believers are going to be, you know, four for four on their crowns or five for five on their crowns if 1 Corinthians 9 is a separate one? Uh, Revelation 2.10. This is the pastor of Smyrna Bible Church who, uh, interesting, there's no condemnation. The Smyrna pastor and the Philadelphia pastor are the only two that don't have rebukes. Um, And yet, he says in verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So he was going through it. This pastor was going through it. And he was paying a price. And he had some financial struggles. Spiritually, of course, he's the richest guy in town, but he still has some poverty he's got to deal with. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not. Remember, not all Israel is Israel. And this synagogue of Satan. I think, you know, every uh, town that had a Christian local church and had a Jewish synagogue simultaneously was just, in the first century, was just you know, conflict driven. And, and in Corinth they actually put them side by side. They were next door. They, they planted the local church next door to the synagogue and that, you know, wow, okay. Um, because remember, any real synagogue, any, I mean any real believer in a, in a Jewish synagogue should have crossed into the church age and named the name of Christ and been ushered into the body of Christ. And so the ones that remained, you're like, well why are they all not just closed? <laughs> Close them all down, turn them into churches. Right? Like why did John the Baptist still have disciples after Jesus was, was baptized? You know, He should have been out of business when he baptized Jesus and then sent away all his disciples over there. Anyway, the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. You singular. You singular. The pastor of uh, Smyrna here had some suffering on the way. Behold the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. So the pastor is going to have suffering and some of his flock are going to be in prison so that you will be tested. It becomes the pastor's test for this flock in prison. And y'all will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. And I will, it's you, pastor singular, be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. And so crown of life. So take Revelation 2.10, combine it with James 1.12, be faithful unto death, blessed are those that persevere under trial, for when they have been approved, when they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. That's the overcomer reward that we saw on Sunday. So crown of exaltation, crown of righteousness, crown of life, Crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4. 1 Peter 5, 4, the crown of glory. This is one that appears to be, well, explicitly for shepherds, but I think when we get into verse 5 and 6, we can realize that it, by extension, I think any believer would be eligible for the crown of glory. Alright, so um, here's Peter. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. 
See, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. We're all partakers of glory. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So now if you're not a shepherd, just plug your own gift in here and and do that. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So whatever your gift is, whatever your ministry is, whatever your calling is, do that voluntarily as unto the Lord. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. That's what I'm talking about. Not the ear tickling, but allotted to your charge. Jesus Christ allots sheep and He puts sheep where He wants them. Allotted to your charge. The sheep don't allot themselves and the pastor doesn't allot them either. Jesus allots them. But proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the word unfading, I think, relates well to what we already saw with the incorruptible crown of 1 Corinthians 9. I think all of these are unfading. Every reward is unfading. The inheritance we have is unfading because it's a part of, you know, this life is the one of, of corruption, this life is the one of mortality and, and, uh, and, and decay. The next one is the life of glory. All right, so this crown of glory. And some would limit it only to the pastors because of this context. But I think when you move on to verse 5, it says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. So there's a likewise there. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And so I would take this crown of glory as uh, the prize for humility, that when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time. And so the life of humility receives the exaltation of the, uh, the crown of glory. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So take that whole passage in its context, and I don't think you can limit the crown of glory to just pastors only. It's all believers passing the humility test throughout their life. The crown of glory is to the humble. All right, so these are the various crowns. And uh, these I would not make positional like I do the overcomer rewards. I believe the overcomer is positional, but these five, four or five, I believe are all conditional based upon whether we get disqualified, based upon whether we run with a purpose, based upon whether uh, we fulfill what it is that He expects for us to do. All right, now to summarize in three minutes. What do I do in three minutes? Well, (laughs) quit it. All right. I'll tease this and then we'll kind of pick up here on Sunday because I don't want to this conclusion could be a whole class all by itself or, or not. Um, first of all, do not confuse inheritance with reward. Do not confuse inheritance with reward. They're different terms. And while some of them, there is a, an overlap in the way some of the terms are used in terms of incorruptible, undefiled. Rewards are called incorruptible, undefiled. Inheritance is called incorruptible, undefiled. But nevertheless, inheritance is called inheritance. Reward is called reward. And we want to be clear, reward is, is, is different. So do not confuse inheritance with reward. 1 Peter 1.4 talks about this. And, and I think it's a fundamental difference in terms of grace too. And, and, but doesn't Paul say, look, if you work for it, it's not grace? <laughs> if you work for it, it's, it's what's due. It's uh, it's, it's income, it's salary, it's, it's what you've worked for. But if you haven't worked for it, you just believe the promises and God gives it to you on a grace basis, well then it's grace. All right, now when it comes to our inheritance and when it comes to our reward, we have a, a, a work concept of earning and deserving and striving and measuring up and, and being provided rewards and conditional consequences for what we've done but then we have an inheritance that we don't deserve at all. We have an inheritance that we can't deserve. The inheritance is grace. I mean, think about it. Inheritance is, is totally not about you anyway. It's about who your dad is. <laughs> okay? 
If your dad is Michael Dell, you're going to have a better inheritance than if your dad is Bob Bolander. Just saying. In, 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 in dollar value, at least. Okay. And what's our inheritance with God the Father as our Father? Being fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. That's a pretty cool inheritance. Okay. And did we earn that? Did we deserve that? Not at all. So we'll pick up on this on Sunday. Just think about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That can't be lost. That can't be thrown away. That can't be forsaken. You can't earn that. You can't deserve that. That's an inheritance. Quite a bit different from a reward, right? Quite a bit different from a reward. So this is where we'll pick up on Sunday. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your truth. I pray that each one of us will be convicted. I know I'm convicted on uh, these things. So Father, uh, keep our eyes on you. Keep our love properly oriented that, uh, that we not throw away our reward. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.